Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. through scripture. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to um, uplift one another, hold one another accountable. There's all these one another's all throughout scripture. And the thing with all these one another's is it's all about the community of believers. It's all about the people of God coming together and being in right relationship with one another. And so this series, it's going to be a relationship series. Um, A lot of illustrations and things we talk about will focus on marriage, mainly because That's my closest relationship. Um, But relationships are not just about marriage. In fact, the scriptures doesn't even require us to be married. I think sometimes the church has held marriage up to this standard. But it's perfectly biblical and even should be praised to remain single. So it's not a marriage series. It's a relationship series. And I think that we all, whether it's a co-worker, whether it's our parents or children or a spouse, or a best friend, there are times where our relationships get rocky. And my goal is that, through the series, that we can learn how to navigate those relationships. I want to start out with a, a story that happened to one of my best friends in college. He's the smartest human being I know. Ever, and the smartest human being I've ever met. Incredibly intelligent. He, he was in school studying biology. He wanted to be a marine biologist, right? Oh, wow. He wanted to like study sharks and whales and stuff. And the, the way he knew, all the way down to like microorganisms, all the way up to like galaxy stuff. Incredibly intelligent. And he also loved theology and he loved Jesus. So he studied and he knew all of those things. And and he kind of had this season that he entered into where he started acting really funny. And so all of us kind of, there was four of us roommates that the way the dorms were set up, you'd have two roommates, you'd share a bathroom, and there'd be two roommates on the other side. We were all best friends, so we put all of our desks in one side and all of our beds in the other, so we basically turned it into a big apartment and, you know, sharing a bathroom. So that we were, like, really close, right? And the other three of us in the room started noticing him acting kind of funny. Then he did this fast, and he started fasting. He didn't let everybody know about it, but as his roommates, we knew he was going through, and we could tell that he was battling something. He was going through something, but none of us really knew what it was. One night, it's like 2 or 3 a.m., middle of the night, uh, 
one of us, I don't remember which roommate it was, woke up and noticed that our friend was not in his bed. Um, heard the shower running. He was like, okay, it's weird. He's taking a shower at 2 a.m., but okay. And um, it just went on and on and on to the point where he got worried about him. So he knocked on the door, and we ended up discovering that he was fully clothed, sitting in the bottom of the shower, just letting the water run on him, bawling. And conversations were had where he said, I just need to be alone. So we said, okay, he's battling something. We just let him have his space. We're all believers. We prayed for him. We're in the other room letting him have his time. And he was in this incredible battle with God, like fighting with God. This season was a season of him, God actually calling him out of marine biology and into ministry. But he came from a family who was in ministry and wanted nothing to do with being in ministry. And he was battling God, fighting with God, in conflict with God. It reminds me of a story in our scripture days in Genesis 32. I'm going to paraphrase it for the sake of time, but I encourage you to read it throughout the week. And this Jacob story where Jacob, his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. And if I'm reading and understanding the story right, Jacob is, is he sends his family off ahead of him. He's, he's been running from Esau. He's been scared for his life. And now he knows he's about to encounter Esau again. So first off, he has this strategy where he splits apart some of his flock so that Esau comes and kills some of it. He still has some. But he also takes some of his flock and he sends it ahead as like a gift to like sweeten up the relationship. Like Esau, this is yours. Please don't be mad at me. Right? There's this sense of like he's preparing for that. So now it's him and this, just a small part of his, his uh, flock and his herds is every, everything he owns and he sends his his family his sons his wives his flock all on across the the um, river of Jabbok I think is how you pronounce it and he stays on this side and if, and if I'm understanding scripture right it's God that throws the first punch because he's there he's by himself he's all alone he's, he's separated from everybody all of his stuff and then out of nowhere a man appears and it says they wrestled they wrestled. The Hebrew word means they got down and dirty. They were in the dust. This wasn't like a conversation. This was a battle. It was a fight. It was a real conflict that Jacob was having with God. And they wrestle all night to the point where they get up and the, the sun starts to rise. Dawn is coming and Jacob is wrestling with this man and the man can't win. He, the, the man realizes that he's got a real battle on his hand and he actually cheats supernaturally reaches up, touches Jacob's hip, throws it out of socket. Some translations say that it tore his thigh muscle to the point where Jacob, for the rest of his life, has a limp. And they're battling all night long. And, and, and the man says, dawn is coming. Let go of me. Let go of me. And Jacob is like, no, I'm not letting go until you bless me. So the man responds, okay, well, what is your name? Like he didn't know Jacob's name. Jacob says, it's Jacob. And the man responds, no longer will you be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel. Because you have wrestled with man and you have wrestled with God. And I have saved you. You have wrestled with man and you have wrestled with God and you have overcome. And in that moment, Jacob becomes Israel. And Jacob is like, okay, well, tell me your name. God doesn't respond. (laughs) And it's like Jacob almost, he looks up at the sun, and just as fast as this man appeared, 
He's gone. After wrestling all night. And Jacob makes an altar and changes the name of this place to Penelua. Penelua, if I'm saying that right. <laughs> Which means that I've been face to face with God and I have been saved. Yes, it's a man. But this is where theologians often think that this was an Old Testament encounter with Jesus. Because it's God in human form. And Jacob had wrestled with him all night long. God, when, if you read through the Old Testament, this is an, an exercise that I like to do every now and then because as a pastor who preaches, a lot of times I can get in Scripture and I'm always trying to pull out nuggets and trying to pull out information that I can teach on and preach on and things that can change, change my life. And I'm trying to, But every now and then I like to just go back and just pretend that I don't know anything and read it like it's a book and see how the story unfolds. And when you get to this part in Genesis, you're left thinking like, what in the world? Like if we could come at it without any kind of bias, we could come at it as, as like we're reading it for the first time with no kind of teaching. You're thinking, what is going on with this God that's picking a fight and then cheats and it gets to the point where he, he asks for his name but doesn't give it back. And it's this, this real picture of conflict and this real picture of battling with God. And this is a battle that we see between Jacob and God but we also see the relationships that have conflict all throughout Scripture. We see Paul and Peter. We see the New Testament is always calling believers to be in unity, so, which is you can't be in unity if there's not first conflict. They wouldn't say be unified if there's not something they have to deal with first. You see, the, the, New, the Old Testament is like a family that just can't get along. We talked about that a few weeks ago. One event after another, you see families that are fighting. What I want us to see is if it's Jacob that's fighting with God, and we see that conflict happens all throughout Scripture, that a healthy relationship involves conflict. Now, maybe not in the garden, maybe not when Jesus returns, but right now, while we are in this fallen world, healthy relationships involve fighting. Some of you, that might bring you a peace, like, okay, good, I fight all the time, but we're all in the right direction. Some of you might be like, wow, we never fight. Maybe something's wrong. Now, the truth is, conflict is a sign of a healthy relationship. It's a sign that someone, at least, still cares. But constant conflict is a sign of unhealthy relationship because it's conflict that is resolved. It's at the end of the battle that Jacob is blessed. It's when the conflict is resolved that we have victory, that we have blessing. So whether it's Jacob and God or Paul and Peter, when you look at the uh, Matthew, the book of Matthew gives instructions for how to handle conflict inside the church. We know that conflict is going to happen in healthy relationships. Conflict is going to happen when you have one person who has a completely different culture that they come from and another person who can grow up in the house next door who has a completely different culture that they come from. There's going to be conflict when they come and bring those cultures together. The problem is, the problem is for so long, we talked about you want to grow in your relationship with God, you've got to pray. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to worship. You've got to listen. You've got to obey. And all those things are true. If you want to grow with God, do those things. But I think we also need to add you have to wrestle with God. Healthy relationships involve wrestling. And I think it's no secret if we look at our culture, if we look at you, just watch the news. Get on social media. Listen to your coworkers. 
kind of step outside of yourself and see how you deal with your kids or your spouse or your parents. And I think we've lost the art of wrestling. We've lost the art of handling conflict well, of fighting fair. Relationships have conflict. But are we at a place where we can resolve them with health? We have to learn to fight. We look at this story and we see that fighting is going to happen. We have to learn to fight. We have to learn that fighting is okay, but we also have to learn how to fight without letting go. What happens if Jacob doesn't battle all night? What happens if he doesn't hold on? What happens if when his hip is dislocated that he doesn't hold on, if he lets go too early, if he refuses to have that fight? The blessing never comes. What I want to do this morning is I want to help us navigate relationships. I want us to learn how to fight. And I want to do this by giving us uh, four principles and kind of their counter principles. And this comes from John Gottman, who has spent um, years, decades, studying marriages and relationships. He's uh, quoted saying, I've learned what makes a healthy relationship because I failed at a lot of them, right? So, so he, he taught, he's teaching from experience, but he's also he's doing all kinds of studies. He's, he's more of a researcher than anything else. And he kind of, in some of his work, he, he lists the four horsemen. All right, so you have the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is the four horsemen of failed relationships. He can predict with almost certainty relationships that will end, marriages that will end in divorce based on these four things. So I want to highlight those four things and then kind of give the counterpart. If you're taking notes, you might have to focus in a little bit, but I encourage you to do that because my hope and my prayer is that as we unpack these four things, it'll teach us how to navigate that conflict inside of our relationships. So the first thing, the first thing is criticism, right? The first indicator that a relationship is not going to work is criticism. Now, even more specifically than that is blame because Having a critique of someone is natural. If someone is doing something wrong, you should want them to do something right. But the, the more specifically, it's blame. It's a and blame kind of has, has the criticism has two parts, right? It's got the blame part. It's got this negative appraisal. That's the part of criticism that's okay, right? It's negative appraisal. It's looking to say that what they what they've done is not okay. But the problem comes when we take that and we put blame into it. This is the problem. This is like, a, if I could give an example of what blame looks like. This is a completely um, made-up illustration, all right? But let's pretend that it is my responsibility to take out the trash at home, right? Made-up situation. My responsibility to take out the trash at home. And let's pretend that I've kind of let that responsibility slide a little bit. So Lauren comes home from work, and she opens the door, and the smell of the trash has got, like, a two-day-old chicken in it, or uh, maybe like two days worth of dirty diapers, right? And it's it's bad, <laughs> and it's you open the door, and you can immediately smell the trash. So let's say Lauren comes in and she says, "Hey, you forgot to take the trash out again. I can smell it the second I get home from work. Why do you always forget about that? It's like you don't even care. You hear the blame in that?" Now, now I want to say this is made up. Lauren's never talked. To me. She hasn't said that, okay? But, but there's the sense of there's a there's a you forgot. It was your job. Why can't you remember? There's all these layers of blaming of Cassie. It's you. It's your fault. It's, you're the reason it's like this. There's all these layers of criticism, and I naturally 
Well, I feel attacked, right? I, she walks in the door, comes with all of those layers of blame, and I feel attacked. So what do I do? You can answer. What do I do? Counteract and blame the <laughs> No, I don't take out the garbage. I get defensive. Like, you're going to attack me? I'm going to blame her back. Exactly. I get defensive, which is what I do. When, that's the second thing, right? So the first one is criticism and blame. The second thing is defensive. And what do I do when I'm defensive? I counteract and I make the blame go back on her or on something or someone else, right? I've been attacked. I want to get the blame off of me. So what do I do? I'll, I'll say something kind of like, uh, listen, Avery has been fussy all day. Addie Lee has been whiny. They both have been clingy. I've had no break. I worked this morning at the bank. I, I get home. I had to take care of some church stuff. I just haven't gotten to it. It's not me. It's the kids. It's the job. I want to get the blame off of me onto something or someone else. And let's be real. If I can pick who I put the blame on, it's going to be on the one attacking. It's not the kids. It's not the work. It's Lauren. So maybe I'd fire back with, well, maybe you're just throwing the dishes you've forgotten to do. Ouch. <laughs> Listen, I can be witty, okay? I can fire back. This is made up, I promise. This is not happening. But, <laughs> so, so there's, but there's really, there's this sense of like, if I can get the blame off of me and now it's on her. So you've got blame and you've got defensiveness. And those are two indicators as to what's going to lead to divorce. And maybe, and why is that? Because we're no longer talking about the problem. The trash. It's a, it's a problem. Warren was right. It's overflowing. There's stuff on top of the trash can. There's stuff on the floor. It needs to be addressed. But we're no longer talking about the trash. We're talking about who's at fault for the trash. The problem is not solved, and it just spirals out of control. We blame, and we get defensive, and these are unproductive because the problem is never solved. The thing is, the criticism is rightly applied, but it's wrongly presented. There is critique, and she's right to be upset. She's right to be angered, but she's wrong in how she's presented it in this made-up story. We have to learn how to present our anger and disappointment and our critiques in a way that doesn't inspire defensiveness. We have to learn how to communicate by extracting the blame out of the situation. So if we have blame and defensiveness, here's two ways that we can present the critique. There's two ways that we can present this and the problem that's not negative, that doesn't cause blame and cause defensiveness. The first way is to talk about how you feel. That's right, men. You got to talk about how you feel. You got to get your emotions out there. The second one, the second one is we have to have a positively stated need. So talk about how you feel and have a positively stated need. It might look something like this. So instead of Lauren coming in and blaming, saying, you forgot, you did this, you did this, what if she said, hey, I can smell the trash the second I walk in the door. I've had a tough day and I look forward to coming home where I can have some peace with my family. So it's pretty frustrating when I can smell the stink in every room of the house. Can you please take out the trash? See, she's still frustrated. I'm not saying don't be mad. I'm not saying don't feel that emotion. You should feel that. 
What I'm seeing is when she presents it, do you see the difference? It's not you did this, you forgot. You. It's, hey, this is how I feel, and this is what I would need to happen. It inspires me to draw in and hear the need versus putting up a wall and being defensive. So the opposite of blame is to talk about how you feel, and the opposite of being defensive is to take responsibility. So in that moment, I can respond like this. You know what? It was raining when I thought about it yesterday, and so I put it off, and I completely forgot about it. Let me go grab it real quick. right? Because now I hear that there's a need, I hear that there's a problem, and I take responsibility. I'm not defensive. I don't put up the wall, but I take responsibility. The conflict is then resolved, which actually adds a bonding uh, experience. And psychologists have actually looked at this and said when there is conflict that is resolved, it increases the relationship. A relationship gets better. It improves because conflict has been resolved. So that's how we talk about how we feel. And so I want to kind of focus in on the positively stated need. The reason I, I wanted to emphasize that is because when you say something negative, it always involves the blame. Here's what I want you to do is better than here's what I don't want you to do. A negatively stated need always involves blame. Can you not forget next time? Can you not be a jerk? Say what you want to see happen, not what you don't want to say happen. So instead of saying something like, you once again didn't take out the trash, you can say, hey, can you take the trash out for me? You see the difference? Either way, the need is addressed. And then you really want to throw some spice on it. Throw a compliment in there. Hey, you big, burly, muscular man. I love watching you take out the trash. What am I doing? <laughs> okay, let me get this trash. Let me take this trash outside for you, right? Okay, that was just some fun. All right, so there's this. <laughs> we have to stay a positive need, and you do it by communicating your feelings. That's the first two horses and the four horsemen, right? We want to avoid conflict, and we want to avoid defensiveness. The fourth is, is in the, if, you, if you've ever tried to navigate this, if you've heard this advice before, and you've tried to navigate it, and the person is still defensive, a lot of times it can be because of this third thing that we're at, contempt. This is when, contempt is when you've made a decision that someone is guilty until proven innocent. There's been a pattern of behavior that, was, that has convinced you that they are always going to be like that. They're always going to be forgetful. They're never going to be dependable. They're always going to be annoying. They're always going to be a jerk. There's, whatever that is, there's a past behavior that's been a pattern that even when they change, even when they change, we hold that past against them. So another made-up situation. All right, this one's not as made-up as the first one. Love, so Lauren loves to shop. Uh, it's kind of what she does. It's like a sense of a long time. It's a sense of, of um, kind of recharging because she's an introvert, right? Even though she might seem very outgoing, she gets her energy from being alone. It's a chance that she can kind of recharge. And she doesn't have to buy anything, which blows my mind. If I go to the store, I'm like on a mission. I want this thing. I'm walking to that thing. I'm getting it. I'm leaving. I'm checking out. Lauren's like, let me look at these shirts. Let me look at these pants. I don't really need it. I just have fun looking at it. I don't get it. But she loves to do that, right? And so there's times where she's like, hey, I need a break. I need some me time. I'm going to go shopping. 
So she'll go shopping, and she goes shopping, and she goes shopping, and I'm watching the clock, and I'm expecting her to be home, and she's not home, and I'm getting frustrated, and I don't know why she's not home, and I'm mad because now I'm having to take care of the girls. I'm having to feed them and bathe them and get them in their pajamas and get them in bed. And I'm like, where? And it, and it was really frustrating. Now, I never told her that. I kept all that inside, right? That's, don't do that. That's not healthy, okay? That's, that's for another time. But don't do that. But I would not tell it. So eventually, I kept it all inside, and guess what? It exploded. And we had this fight. She spent too long, too long shopping one day. We had this fight, and I told her all these things, and there was lots of blame and lots of critique, and it wasn't healthy. The Lord is gracious, and the Holy Spirit worked with us, and we were able to navigate it. And we kind of we came up with a solution. Right? We worked through it because she's wonderful and grace-filled. We worked through it and kind of said, okay, I have an expectation that she didn't know about. So I was like, here's the deal. You go shopping. I would like to see you here home at this time. And she did. She changed. She'd be home at that time. If she was going to be a little bit late, it was never much, but she would text me or call me, let me know, hey, I'm checking out, I'm on the way. And it, it solved that problem. Now let's say, let's say there's one day where she goes shopping again. And it's time for her to be home. And she doesn't show up. She's not there. I haven't heard from her again. What am I doing in my head? She's doing it again. She's back shopping again. She doesn't care about us. She just cares about herself. She's being selfish. I've got all these scenarios going on in my head. All these things. She's back where she was. I'm, I'm, she hasn't changed. She's just like she's always been. And I don't know if any of it's true, but that's where I'm at in my head. I've created this situation. I know what's happened. She's going back. She's reverting back to her old ways. She doesn't care about me. And she walks in the door, and I've been festering on this all night. I've got the girls fed. I've got them bathed. They're in their pajamas. She walks in the door, and I've just been thinking about how all these things where she's reverting back to her old ways. And what do I do? I attack her as soon as she comes through the door. You did it again. You went shopping again. You didn't keep me posted. I didn't know what happened. You don't care. We go back to the old way. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. This is what contempt creates. It creates a situation that might not even be true. What if she got a flat tire? What if she dropped her phone and it broke? What if she got pulled over? What if what if she was having some time in her car in the, the driveway where she's mourning her mom, which has happened before, and she needed some time alone? What if she's got a friend who's going through a life family crisis and she needed to talk to Lauren for a little bit so Lauren spent some time talking to her on the phone she couldn't call me and let me know what's going on I don't know the situation but I've created a situation in my head and that's what I address because the contempt in me has said she's never going to change we can't do that now here's the deal what if she had reverted back to the old ways what if there needs to be another conversation what if we need to practice the skills that we talked about in the first two points then we need to address them. We have to use discernment. We have to understand that there's forgiveness and grace, but we also aren't a doormat. So the, 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 help, the, the help for addressing contempt is to use a gentle startup and wait until you have the evidence. Wait until you know the truth. Don't fester on what it could be when it might not even be that at all. What if she walks through the door and I'm like, hey, I've got the girls ready. We've got them all taken care of. They're in their pajamas. I was really hoping to have some help with that, but you weren't here, and I was very disappointed that you weren't here. 
How do we, I mean, what, what happened? And in that moment, what if she's like, I got a flat tire or any of those situations that we talked about? Then the situation is resolved. Like, man, that stinks that that happened. Or I'm glad you were there for your friend. Or, okay, that's great. Let's get on with our evening and the conflict is done right there. Or maybe she did lose track of time. In which case, we can now navigate that with the skills we've talked about. But you can't, you can't have that situation making up those things in your head that aren't true when you don't even know they're true. So practice, practice the gentle startup. Fight against the, the thought process that they're never going to change. Contempt is the, the quickest way to end the relationship. It is the quickest way, like statistically speaking, the quickest way to divorce. Uh, a way to practice this so that you can be prepared in the moment is start right now, five times a day. This came from an actual psychologist. Five times a day, finding ways to appreciate the person that you're in a relationship with. If it's your spouse, if it's your kids, if it's a coworker, find ways to appreciate them for who they are and be genuine. Don't just do it because pastor said. Don't just do it to check off a list. Like genuinely say, you know what? I'm really thankful they fixed that coffee for me this morning. Or you know what? I'm really thankful that they washed those dishes. Or I'm really thankful they took out the trash. Right? Whatever it is, find ways to be genuinely appreciative of who they are. Lean into it and be genuine. And watch how as you focus on the positive things about them, the contempt in your heart will begin to shift. And the last horseman is stonewalling. Stonewalling is when a person just shuts down, right? Usually there's only one of these in a relationship. Usually we kind of have these natural responses, right? Fight or flight. You've got someone who can be aggressive and someone who's passive. There's someone who is uh, more gentle, someone who's more bold, and they always seem to marry each other. All right. There's this sense of, of there's these two kind of conflicting things. And usually, usually the more, not always, not always, but usually the more passive, quiet one is the one that will stonewall. When something happens, the things get intense, heart rates start to rise, things are, are boiling over, their defense mechanism is to shut down. They can't control the situation. They don't have any power over the outcome. They don't know how to resolve the conflict. And instead of making it worse, instead of feeding the flame, their defense is to just bury it, to just shut it down. And the problem is you can't resolve anything if you refuse to have conversations about it. If you refuse to talk about it, if you refuse to be honest with yourself and with the person you're in a relationship with, Nothing can be solved. And a lot of times, the person who's more aggressive looks at the person who is stonewalling and thinks they're being manipulative. They're not. If you're the type of person who, when things start to get out of control, you fly off the handlebars, you yell, you scream, you get aggressive, that is your way of dealing with that conflict. That is called fight, right? Stonewall is the opposite thing. It's the same way. Of, it's, it's a different way of dealing with the same problem. There, if you were to, to do a, whatever it is where you check their vitals, their heart rate's going to be up. They may be sweating. That is intense for them. And where that stuff gets intense for you and you fly off the handlebars, for them, they get intense and they shut down. They, it's they're, they're, fly, they're, they're flying, right? They're fleeing. They're doing the opposite. So it's, it's two different ways to deal with the same problem. And they're both unhealthy. And here's why. 
When you've lost control, whether you lose control and shut down or you lose control and get aggressive, you've moved from the front of your head to the back of it. It's a lot more scientific than that, but that's how I understand it, right? The, the front of our brain is kind of where we're able to reason and have logic and make decisions. The back, is, back of our brain is kind of where the reaction happens. And I've done a lot of reading of this when it comes to raising kids. Because kids, they don't know how to self-regulate. They don't know how to get themselves calm. You have a crying baby, what do you do? You feed them, you rock them, you swallow them, you get them calm. You teach them. They, they kind of regulate off of you. As they get older, as Addie Lee's at the age now, when she starts to get emotional, what we have to do before we make any correction, before we try to reason, before we do, we have to calm her down, teach her to take a breath, teach her to get from the back of her head to the front of her head. And that, in that moment, that's when you can reason, when you're back in the front. And the problem is when you're an adult, people think you've got to figure it out. But for many of us, whether it's trauma or, or some, uh, a product of our raising or a product of a problem relationship in the past, there's a number of reasons that can cause adults to not be able to self-regulate. And we get stuck in the back of our brain, we get stuck in the back of our head, and we just react. We either react by shutting down or react by being overly angry and aggressive either way is a problem and just like you have to teach kids to regulate because it's when they're calm that they can reason we have to be able to regulate ourselves we have to learn how to regulate so the, the answer to stonewalling or the answer to flying off the handles and losing control is to take a break take a break go for a walk get out of the back of your brain and back into the front of your head Seriously, take a break, go for a walk, take a nap, go to sleep for the night. I know the, the Bible verse says, don't let the, the sun go down on your anger, that to say that you have to solve the problem before you go to sleep is a bad exegesis of that passage. All right, it's a bad unpacking of that. Because sometimes you're battling and you're angry and you're fighting because you're tired. Go to sleep, wake up tomorrow and address the issue after you're well rested. It's when you're taking care of yourself that you're able to self-regulate better. Take a nap. Go to bed. Write down whatever. Write down what's going on. Journal. Whatever you have to do, get out of the back of your head and back into the front of your head. And have a plan for getting back into the conflict. Have a, right now, go home with whoever, if it's your spouse, go home and say, you know what, the next time we're flying off the, the handlebars, the next time we're angry, the next time we're, we're tempted to shut down, here's what we got to do. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go to the workshop. You go play golf. You go do it. You go work on an art project. You do whatever you got to do. I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm going to get out of the back of my head. I'm going to get into the front of my head. And tonight, after dinner, about 7.30, we're going to give the kids a tablet for all I care. Give them so that they're out of the picture. And we're going to have a reasonable conversation and solve this problem. Take a break and have a plan to get back in the fight. Okay, so that's a lot. Here's what I'm saying. Healthy relationships involve conflict. Inside of that conflict, avoid blame, avoid defensiveness, Avoid contempt and avoid stonewalling. The way we do that is by talking about our feelings with a positively stated need, taking responsibility, waiting for the evidence, and then using a gentle startup and take a break. Go from the back of your brain to the front of your brain. 
at the end of this battle royale between God and Jacob, that's when Jacob is blessed. When one person states that they have a need, it's up to us in that moment to take responsibility. When we face conflict, it's when it is resolved that the relationships are strengthened. People who face or resolve conflict have more rich and dynamic relationships than those who don't. Your marriage, your kids, your friends, all of those that you are in relationship, they will be blessed and you will be blessed if we do the hard work of resolving conflict. So, as you go throughout this week, when you recognize these things in your life, take a second and pause and see if we can learn to fight better. And to bring it all back in because we are in church, the number one way you can do this is by relying on the Holy Spirit. It's God's Spirit in you that can help you move from the back of the brain to the front of the brain. It's God's Spirit in you that can help you learn what it means to talk about a need positively. It's God's Spirit in you that can help you not be defensive when your partner's not attacking you. They literally just need you to make a change for them. It's only by His power that we're able to be in right relationship with each other. Sin has come in and has destroyed both our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with others. But Jesus' death on the cross, He he covers that By his stripes, we are healed. His death on the cross gives us the ability to be in right relationship with God and in right relationship with one another. We have to lean on him in order to navigate healthy conflict. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you that you don't leave us alone. We thank you that that we're not supposed to just get it all right the first time, that you offer us grace and forgiveness. And I pray that as we navigate the relationships of our life, we can learn what it means to be in battle, learn what it means to be in conflict, but do it in a healthy way, a way that resolves the the, the conflict in a way that strengthens our relationships. Scripture tells us that they will know you, but they will know that we are Christians by the way that we love one another. I pray, Lord, that we would love one another by solving conflict in a healthy way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.